Today we're in Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to get your your Bible ready, your digital Bible, whatever you use, Philippians chapter 2. In our passage today, if if the Bible was a mountain range, what we're going to talk about today is one of the, the peaks. It is one of the most cherished, most beloved portions in all of Scripture. Uh, and if you've been with us in recent weeks, you know that we have been going through the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And he writes to the, the church in, in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony. It was full of uh, retired Roman soldiers. Uh, and Philippi, was known, they were known for their patriotism. And, and when Paul was there originally, he faced resistance. You can read about it in, in Acts. Uh, he faced resistance. And when he left, the church that he, was, that he established, they also faced resistance and even persecution. But they remained faithful to, to Jesus. And now we're coming to the heart of the letter. Everything up to this point has been, has been pointing to our passage today. And the rest of the letter is going to point back to the passage we're going over today. And, and it's no surprise that at the center of this letter and what Paul's trying to communicate to them is Jesus, is Jesus. Uh, and, and Paul wants them and he wants us to see that living as a Christian means that we see our story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. That we see our story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. And Paul begins by encouraging with the prayer and, and says that, that God isn't done working in you yet. And then, then he tells him about his imprisonment and how it's actually turned out for the good of the gospel. Because that's how, how Paul rolls. Uh, and he, as Paul writes this, he doesn't know what's going to happen in his future. He doesn't know if he's going to live. He doesn't know if he's, he's going to die. But either way, he says he wins. In fact, for Paul, dying is the win. And being released, for him, that is the sacrifice to continue serving uh, the church, continue traveling, continue starting new churches, encouraging churches that he's already started. He is willing to suffer because of his love for Jesus, his love for these, these churches. And, and so Paul, he is urging them. It's like, let your public behavior match up to the gospel, which will mean sharing in Jesus' suffering. And we're going to get to that at, at the end of chapter chapter two. And so he's been um, talking about unity. He's been concerned for their unity, concerned for their holiness. Um, and he knows that this, this socially diverse, culturally diverse, ethnically diverse church, there are going to be all kinds of reasons to be divided. E- even reasons that don't seem related. Like we, it's just easy for people to, to be divided. And so he writes to them and he's just told them, he's like, get rid of ambition, get rid of vain conceit, but instead embrace humility. And then, and what we're going to read today, he gives them the greatest example of humility possible. So Philippians chapter two, Philippians chapter two, verse five says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Unity and holiness will come, will only come as the mind of the community, the mind of the individuals are transformed and take on the very mind of Christ. The mind of Jesus is, then becomes a subject of the rest of this, this poem. And uh, the, the last couple of weeks, uh, I've read Philippians before, I knew what we were, we were coming to, and I've been extremely excited to teach on this this morning, but also a bit um, apprehensive 
because there's, there's so much here and, and I'm afraid that my words will not be adequate. So we'll just let the words speak for themselves. We'll let the words speak for them, themselves. Philippians chapter two, verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, some versions say did not, uh, he did not count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even a death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Now, I don't, there's, there's so much there. I don't know where to begin. Jesus, the preexistent one, he humbled himself. He, he didn't seek his own advantage, but he was obedient to death. But he is now exalted above every enemy, every darkness, every power, every injustice, and we wait for his return and we confess him as Lord. There is, there is no other. He has no rivals. And in this poem, it has so many echoes and, and allusions to some of the grander themes that we find woven throughout scripture. Uh, so, so for Paul, it, in what he, he says here, there's, there's echoes of creation, there's echoes of the Psalms, there's echoes from Isaiah, the prophet. And, and Paul sees Jesus as the true human. He sees Jesus as the ultimate Israelite. He sees Jesus in this passage as the servant of the Lord. He sees him as the embodiment of Israel's God in person and, and the reality of which Caesar was just a shallow parody, the, the Lord of the whole world. And at the center, is the cross. At the center is the cross. And that is, leads to Jesus' exaltation because he went to the cross. And when we see this passage, we see that, that the God who raises the dead has come down to the depths of the dead himself. And in pouring himself out and in humbling himself, Christ has revealed the character of God himself. Like, have you ever wondered, what, what is God like? What is, what is God, how does God think? What, what does God think? And this, this passage reveals the very heart of God, reveals the heart of God. I mean, it's the, the epitome. Jesus was the epitome of God likeness, the, the preexistent Christ. He was not a grasping, selfish being, but one whose love for others found expression in, in pouring himself out. And so you, you could say that the way of Christ is not the way of power. It's not the way of self-benefit. The way of Christ is not the way of self-preservation. The way of Christ is, is not one of conquer and conquest. And, and everything about Christ is the exact opposite of selfish ambition. So, and if you, if you haven't caught it yet, in this poem, we have a radical redefinition of power. Like it's, it's turned upside down. We have a radical redefinition of power. Now, I think it would be helpful for us if, if the Bible gave us, especially the New Testament, more clear direction. Um, like it was, uh, well, I've heard people use the acronym for the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, like basic instructions before leaving earth. And, you know, I get, I get what they're saying. But 
the truth is, that's, that's just a, one, it's a poor way of reading scripture as an instruction manual. I mean, when was the last time you got out the instruction manuals for anything? Like, I, I don't even do that for Ikea stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll try, put it backwards, take it all apart. I don't look at instruction manuals. Uh, but the instructions given in the New Testament, they're not analogous, analogous to living in the 21st century. It, it doesn't tell us as, as much as we want. So, for example, what do you, what do, you do? What do I do when I, I lose my job? Can I go to the Bible and, and, and find a verse that tells me exactly what I need to do? What, what do I do when I have a falling out with, with my neighbor, with a loved one, with, with a friend? What do I do when COVID takes a loved one from me? What do I do when my kid won't listen to me anymore? Like, like real issues that, that we're facing, that we deal with, and, and we come to scripture, and it, it doesn't just spell it out for you. And Paul, he's, he's not in this passage. He's talking about the mind of Christ. He wants them to, to have the mind of Christ. And he's not telling them so much what to think as how to think. I mean, Paul could write to them so, I mean, he could spend his days just writing letters to the churches. He could fill up parchments. He could spend all his money. He could spend all his time. And he still would not be able to give them enough instructions. He would not be able to give, would not be able to give us enough instructions for, for every scenario that we, we come across. And instead, Paul wants them to have the mind of Christ. And he shows us in this passage, what is the mind of Christ? And he starts with the character of Jesus. Like, who is Jesus? And, and we see in this passage that Jesus is pre-existence. Before creation, he existed in a state of glory, state of equality with the Father. Jesus was not created. Jesus is not a lesser God. In another letter, Paul talks about how, how Jesus, uh, he, he, everything on earth was created through Jesus and for Jesus, and everything even now is sustained by Jesus. He was glorious. Verse six, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that, that is a sharp contrast to our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that's a sharp contrast to how we live our lives. In the first chapters of scripture, in Genesis, we have the creation story, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, story of creation, and then the, the fall of humanity. And, and the serpent was in the garden and tempted Eve by saying, you won't die. Genesis chapter three, verse four, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Adam and Eve, they tried to seize equality with God, but Jesus chose not to exploit his status for his own self-advantage. And if Paul were writing this passage about us, he would have said, who not being in nature, God, considered equality with God something to be grasped. The exact opposite of what Jesus did. And one of our, our fundamental struggles as Jesus followers is that we want to call the shots. Like we, we want to call the shots. We want authority. We want autonomy, uh, especially over our own lives. And that is, that is human nature. That is, when I say human nature, it's definitely American nature, right? It, like, in the words of the Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way that we, we live our lives. We, we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And 
And I am incredibly grateful to live in this country. But our, our freedoms, if, if we're not careful in our following of Jesus, can, can get us into trouble. Because uh, don't, like don't, don't tell me what to do, right? My, mind your own. Mind your own business and whatever else. Don't tell me how to live my life. I mean, we can agree to disagree, but don't tell me what I should do with, with my body. Don't tell me who I can, can be with. Don't, don't tell me how I should spend my money. Don't tell me to give my energies to justice if it's going to hinder my lifestyle. Don't tell me I should care about those who haven't taken care of themselves. Like, because we, we want our way, right? We, uh, we want to be in charge. We want to be God. And so we, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we grasp after, after being like God. We want to be, we want to be in charge. We want to be in charge. And um, that's grasping. We want to call the shots. But not Jesus. Verse seven says, rather, he made himself Nothing. He made himself nothing. Some translations say he emptied himself. He poured himself out by taking the very nature of a servant or slave, being made in human likeness. And it's difficult to pick up in, in modern translations. But Paul is, he's contrasting like how we act oftentimes and how Jesus lived his life and his attitude. And so in, in verse three and verse seven, there's a similar word, but uh, because of going from Greek to English, we don't always catch the similarities. But in verse three, he warns us against vain conceit, vain glory or empty glory in verse three. In verse seven, it says that Jesus made himself nothing, that he emptied himself. So while we go after glory that is empty, Jesus willingly empties himself. We, we go after empty glory, but Jesus empties himself. And in, in years past, scholars used to get, get hung up on this Jesus emptying himself phrase. Like, what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself? Like when he be, became human, did he, did he just leave his divinity behind? Did he just put it aside? Um, I think that's the wrong question. I think that is the wrong question. The point is that Jesus poured himself out, that uh, there was this, this concern for Paul to get across the divine selflessness, the self-giving of Jesus for the sake of others. Jesus emptied himself of status. He went away from power. He went away from status. And Paul is telling us the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, we'll do the same thing. We'll go away from power. We go away from autonomy and in, in trying to be God. And verse, verse eight says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming o- obedient to death, even death on a cross. Najee, if you want to come back. So this is in this passage. We don't have time to go into uh, a deep study of the, the, the identity of Christ and his, his divinity and his humanity working together in this passage. But from this, this passage, we see that he became human it, and not a privileged human. He, I mean, he could have come as a king. He could have come as a Lord. He could have come in, in riches and no one would have thought second about it. Like, oh yeah, you, you're God. Okay. But no, more than becoming a human, he became a servant allowing himself 
to be humiliated on the cross. God on the cross. I mean, think about Jesus, the the creator. He created the hands that nailed him to the cross. The tree from which he was, the cross was fashioned came into existence by his voice. Make no mistake, he could have stopped it. When Jesus was arrested, the night that he was arrested and the soldiers came, Peter tried to fight back and, and Jesus rebuked him and said, Peter, don't you know, if I called him my father, would he not send 12 legions of angels to come and to stop this? And Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down. We have become so familiar with this language of God becoming man, God dying on the cross. That I'm afraid we've lost the weight and how revolutionary this is, what these verses are trying to tell us. Yet, yet here for Paul is the heart of everything. Here's what it's, what it's all about, what God has done and what is doing in our fallen world. Here is where Jesus, as equal with God, has most fully revealed what God is like. The truth about God, that God is expressing himself in love through Jesus Christ, through self-sacrifice, through the cruel, shame-filled death of dying on the cross for the sake of those he loves, for you, for me, for the people of God. The cross. Cicero was a Roman statesman, and about 50 years before Jesus, he speaks about the cross. He writes about the cross and the, the, the type of punishment that it was, and he said this, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him an abomination, to slay him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is, is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. No one in Philippi, no one in the church there, no one in any of the churches at this time used the cross as a symbol for their faith. Because it was something to be despised, something to be rejected. It was shame filled. There were, there were no crosses on Bibles. There were no, no Bibles. There were no church steeples with crosses on it. The cross is God's scandal, God's contradiction to human wisdom and, and power. And Jesus says, you want power? I'll show you power. I lay down my life for you. Now, how could one who's died a state criminal's death? I mean, he was a state criminal died at the hands of the state. At the hands of not Caesar himself, but one of Caesar's underlords at the proconsul. How could a state criminal be lord of all? But that is Paul's claim. And that is our claim. And, and I wonder, as Paul thinks about this mystery of, of God on the cross, he's in prison, remember when he's writing this, and I wonder, I wonder if he's sitting down and I don't know if he's tired, I don't know if he's had anything to eat that day. They didn't get meals served to them. But I wonder, uh, likely he was chained, physically chained. Maybe his feet, maybe his arms, maybe his guards surround him and he begins to ponder what Christ has done for him. Something just begins to well up in him. And I don't know if, if he gets up, if he lifts his hands up and begins to worship, if he begins to sing and says, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. Because there is a king, there is a king. 